Blog Talk Radio. I have an emergency. What is your location? Indeed, a war is going on. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this awesome day that you are the Lord God, the God of all creation. You are the one true God. You are the God who maintains and holds all things in position through Jesus Christ, your son. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have given us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand that your spirit reveals to us, Lord God, the truth that we've been made by you to, to uh, recognize the truth, Lord God, through the divine nature that you've imparted to us through uh, your own uh, will, Father God. And so I pray today that as we listen, as we learn, as, we, as your spirit examines our lives and what's gone on in them, that you give us clarity and understanding, give us uh, action steps if we need them, Lord, give us peace. And we thank you, Lord God, that you've promised us that no weapon formed against us will prosper, including these many uh, very deceptive and counterfeit attacks and assaults of the enemy against us, against our spiritual walk with you, Lord Jesus, that no weapon formed against us will prosper. No word said, no deed done, no action taken will be able to be used by the enemy to pull us away from the love of God. What shall separate us from the love of God? The, the word says, so Lord, we pray today that you give us your testimony witness. Jesus, you're the faithful witness and that you'd help us now to understand these concepts in Jesus name. Amen. All right. Hey, honey, we're talking about the dangers of serving God, the Ser- Lord. Serving the Lord is very, very dangerous indeed. But yeah. mm-hmm. the other part is, is not serving the Lord is far more dangerous. Yeah, well, that's because true, Because you too. don't have a clue about what's, what's going on. Well, today we're talking to the people who want to serve the Lord, and yes. we're going to examine the kind of like the pitfalls of spiritual abuse. I think a lot of people get up into, caught up into spiritual abuse uh, in their zeal to serve God, and Satan uses that as a way to bind and control us also um, to examine cults, megachurches and denominations and what some brave true followers of Jesus Christ have had to do um, to overcome them. So, you know, I, I, I kind of woke up in the middle of the night with this idea going on in my mind that man was made to worship and called to serve, but because we're made to worship and called to serve both, they both make us vulnerable to being used, exploited, misguided by others who are under the pretense of serving God have put themselves in positions of leadership over us. So being called to worship and being called to serve make us, makes us vulnerable. Well, we're vulnerable to, you know, we're, we're designed to worship God, as you said, mm-hmm. but then we have, we're tempted to worship other things, give our allegiance to other, other things uh, organizations or well, those that look things. like they'd be serving yeah, God. Yeah. You know, and I, another thing too is that leaders, leadership, is a very important aspect. Um, servant leadership. This is what Jesus says: I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. And so, yes, exactly. I got to add to that. in Matthew twenty-three, starting the very first part of the, Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to the disciples. And saying, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. He's talking about the religious leaders uh, that have put themselves over the people as leaders. Um, Therefore, whatever they tell you do to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. In other words, he's saying, you're following people who are hypocrites, for they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves do not move them with one of their little fingers, one of their fingers. Um, they do all of their works it says to do be seen by men to make their wide their flak trees that was the borders of their garments to it's kind of a, uh, a you know an indication of their position in the in their churches and whatnot and enlarge the borders of their garments they love the best seats and the feasts and the best seats of the synagogues greetings in the marketplace and to be called by men rabbi rabbi but you have not but but you do not call be called rabbi the one, who, the one who is your teacher, the Christ, and you are his brother. There's only He's saying that these people are taking on things that don't belong to them, titles, positions that belong only to the Lord. But also he's making a note here that there's, there's oppression in 
in the body of Christ, in the people who follow Jesus, oppression from their very leaders and, and rulers. Well, sometimes with leaders, it's, it's kind of an ego trip, you know, and uh, it's like, you know, I've got to look good. I've got to to make a good impression. I want to be popular. I want to be respected. I want to be honored. Well, the way you're, the way you're actually honored is to serve the people, not to, uh, not to, uh, not to, as Jesus was, he said, I didn't come to serve, uh, come to be served, but to serve. I mean, obviously we, we do serve the Lord uh, now, but his deal was not to put some power trip, oppressive power trip over the, Church. People. And so, mm-hmm. so leaders are under, uh, you know, Christian leaders. Let's talk about church leaders, pastors, and so forth. They're under a lot of profession, uh, pressure to perform. That's right, exactly. And Jesus was trying to um, warn the people of that pressure. He also said it'll get to the extreme in this religious, uh, I don't know, roulette, Russian roulette, re- religious roulette, that people will even kill you and think they're doing God a service. People will be that twisted in their thinking or serve that wrong God to the point where they think they're doing God a service by eliminating others. Um, you know, and, and in the church, you know, we have opportunities to serve, to render service, to pay our tithes and our offerings. Um, and many times, you know, it's done willingly but other times it's done under the fear and of obligation, sometimes under the fear of guilt, being manipulated. Um, the word of God is being misused to lay guilt trips on people, um, holding us under the thumb of a religious dictator or a church system or some sort of guru. And we don't recognize it because it is so familiar. We have seen it, some of us, since in, in our very birth and infancy, we've been in these kind of you know, regimented, controlling, you know, hierarchies, power structures where the guy at the top knows what he's doing and you don't and all kinds of things like that. So it's very familiar. And we get into this spiritual abuse even after we're born again. We kind of gravitate towards what we were familiar with. Well, there's a confusion there between authority and control. You know, God has raised up, you know, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers for the strengthening of the church. And so there's, there's an authority there. But what ha- happens is sometimes there's a, actually a spirit of witchcraft and that comes in mm-hmm. to, to bring control, the authority Fear. that mm-hmm. you're going to do what I say. And it's, it's, it's a matter of manipulating people rather than loving them and nurturing them. Yeah. Paul told, uh, Peter told the, uh, the people in the church, he said, don't be, uh, told the elders, he says, don't be lords over God's heritage, but be examples to the flock. But we see a lot of abuse in that way. The dangers of serving God um, and the examination of the pitfalls of that spiritual abuse and cults and megachurches, uh, even denominations. is it's so for, We need to understand this, that you could be in a place of being spiritually abused and not yet have recognized it. But we are followers. We're, we're sheep meant to be followers, servers, um, called to serve God and worship him. But that we can be taken advantage of in that gullibility or in that vulnerability or in that need. Uh, many people who would bid that we follow them are really con artists. They're cult leaders. They're abusive. And it can be even in your marriages as abusive mates, people who are beating you over the head with the Bible or the word of God, very religious um, uh, to hold us into submission to some with through spiritual intimidation. I remember um, our first one of our first early examples was being saved and getting into a church um, where there was, it was really a cult. And I think maybe we should get back to defining the word cult and then we can tell you the story, but all right, let's do that. But the the definition of cult in the dictionary is uh, a cult and informal, informal system of religious beliefs regarded by others as uh, others, as misguided, misguided or unorthodox usually including idolization of the leader or some sacred thing or philosophy of life or activity, uh, the external admiration and devotion that uh, displaces common sense and isolates the person from others, especially members of their family. And oftentimes when a person is in a cult, their family members are very uh, fearful and frustrated for their safety. Um, it's, a cult can also be devoted group of enthusiasts, groupies. They are following fads. They're elite groups sometimes of self-identified group of people who 
share uh, a narrowly defined interest or perspective. Um, in religious cults, oftentimes people are held by fear of rep- reprisals, uh, whether those are threats that are being indirectly made against them regarding God, the threats of hellfire and damnation, or that if they would choose to leave the cult, they would be um, or they would be uh, cast out, shunned, lose their salvation, etc. A couple of those examples we are all kind of familiar with are Waco and like Jim Jones and you know drinking the Kool Aid. That was way back when, but nonetheless, that was a very powerful cult that people. Uh, only a few, I think, were wise enough to get out of. And so going back to uh, what it looks like to be spiritually abused, and then we'll get to our story. Um, the signs of spiritual abuse in a church, you want to listen because, you know, not everything is as it appears. And we're not trying to judge the leadership or judge the intentions of the people, but you yourself are going to have to give an account of your participation in anything, whatever it is, the food you eat, you're going to have to give an account for how you uh, care of or didn't take care of your physical body and your spiritual body. So signs of spiritual abuse in the church. Uh, I think the very first sign is that your spirit is going to be uh, not at rest, no peace with God. You're going to be, you're you're not, you're going to be anxious. You're not going to be feeling well-fed, loved, um, secure. As a matter of fact, I, I really see a lot of Christian neurosis, um, people who are spiritually anxious that God is mad at them or at the, you know, they're in trouble with God. Um, a third thing is that we come to, we, we're kind of meditating on the idea of it's my fault. I should be doing something. I've done something wrong. I should be doing something different. It's never enough. A lot of times in the churches, you know, there's, you join the program and there's this and that, and then there's more and more and never enough. And sometimes and the fourth thing that, looks pretty suspicious is the leaders uh, uh, belittle those who would want to leave, um, you know, even, even under the guise of it being for their spiritual benefit that they should stay. Uh, and this is very difficult because, you know, you're, you're, those people have authority. You're respecting them. Well, then there are some people that, you know, if, if they do leave, sometimes the people, you know, they're tempted to leave and they've got a good situation. But they're tempted to leave, and, and a pastor, a godly pastor, uh, will say, you know what, you, you just feel like you're making the wrong decision here because that you're putting yourself in more of a place of vulnerability. You've got nurture here, you've got friends here. There's, so there's a there's a a, a healthy uh, concern concern yeah. that way. But then there's the unhealthy one where you know we know of ex- we just heard of examples recently where people. If they were to leave their church and they left, they, the people uh, that remained in the church were told by their pastor, don't have anything to do with these people. Yeah, Of course, they, they're probably using a scripture like... Um, uh, they went out from us, off from yeah. us because they were not of us. Therefore, don't have anything to do yeah. with Yeah, don't have anything to do with them. Another, you know, these, these... But if you have a leader who is, you know, he may be well-dressed, he may be well-spoken, he may have a television ministry... But if he's insecure and uses God to put guilt chips on people to keep them um, in line or keep them in his group, this is not what Jesus promoted in the terms of the body of Christ. And those leaders make us feel like we have to, um, to do their will uh, or lose our salvation. If there's anybody there like that and you know, listen to your spirit. The Holy Spirit is in you to lead you in all truth. We can't go with sometimes what we're used to or what we think, but what does God say? God, God says in, in second Corinthians uh, chapter, um, I think it's uh, six. He says, at some point you may have to be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. You may have to come out from among them and be separate and touch not the unclean thing. Many times uh, we are confused about what that is. And I think if you're in that place, you need to begin to ask God what to do. And now to our story, we had been saved. Maybe both of us, neither of us had, we had been grown up with the Bible. Um, I was church, but not the Bible. church, lots and lots of church and genuflecting and rituals and rules and church commandments and all that sort of stuff. And we knew all about that, but not anything substantial in the Bible to know what God says and what's okay and what's not. But so we went into this, we were gathered up into this actually came into the church. It was a very small, um, Pentecostal church, kind of a non-denominational church. I think it was so cultish that 
it couldn't even be part of the main Pentecostal type versions of church, but we didn't know that. And so we were brought in there kind of under the guise of, um, you know, uh, I think spiritual coercion. Um, and many of our, many of our friends who were in the, in the, in the hippies were also the commune were also coming into that same church. Oh. So it was kind of an interesting, intriguing group and gathering. So we began to go there. Right. Right. Because there were people that, you know, the people when we were coming there or friends of ours that were, were getting actually saved. They were come to know the yes. Lord mm-hmm. and a lot of them had come to the Lord through the contact from the leadership of that church. Right. And the, but, but because there was a lot of Bible preached. It was, you know, we thought, well, yeah, this is good. This is the Bible. But a lot of the Bible was preached under the context and pretext of law, legalism. I remember one of the main verses, and I, I didn't know the word cult back then. I did not know the word witchcraft back then. I did not know the word control, spiritual abuse. None of those words were even on our radar. We were young. We were like in our, uh, what was it, 20s? Early 20s. Early 20s. So what do you know when you're 20? Anyway, so, um, so, uh, so we were, you know, pulled into this thing. And one of the favorite verses was Deuteronomy 22, five, which I find is in the Bible, but it's not one of the principal verses of the Bible. However, it was mainly used to control the women. And it was the verse goes something like this. It's, it was an abomination for women to wear men's apparel. In other words, the women in the church were, were forbidden to wear jeans or slacks or pants or pantsuits or anything uh, like that because it was an abomination to God. And so no one wanted to be an abomination to God and not knowing for sure what God was all about yet. At that point, we began to, uh, you know, conform. Be, con- yeah. Good, good word. Conform to this uh, ritual. I mean, we could not even wear pants when we were outside uh, cleaning up uh, the, the horse barn. We were absolutely, and this was very, very strict. Uh, so everyone was obeying, abiding and but what was happening as we were being controlled uh, the joy of the Lord and the, the anointing and the original zeal that many of them had had when they'd gotten saved was kind of going away. And um, the people in the church before we got there, there were just a few, just a handful of shriveled up little people. We should have made a note of that too. But it took a while for us. I mean, it took years actually for us to see there was something else because we had nothing to com- to compare it to. Um, well, basically, at that church, you know that the other churches were, were, were bad, and, uh, and we were told. there are a lot of bad churches around then as there are now. But that's the idea that we were we, exclusive. We were, yeah, you know, we were the one of the wor- we were the church of the word of God. We yeah, were the church had of the truth. holiness. Yeah, and holiness. We were the church yeah. of evangelism. Mm-hmm. All that. So there were a lot of good things that we learned there. But the holiness was defined as the clothes you wore and you button up your collars and, you know, uh, you know, wear long hair, whatever. And, but, but it was very ultimately very, there were telltale signs of this being very controlling and very spiritually abusive. Uh, some of the friends of ours said, this is wrong. We don't want to do this anymore. They left. Um, and, and evangelists would come through and say, you need to get out of here basically. Um, and, but for over a period of about seven years, I remember I just went into the word of God. I said, I want to know the truth from the word of God. I want to know what Jesus is saying. I didn't have any mentors or, or spiritual counselors that I could go talk to about this. There was a guy towards the end, though, great evangelist, old man of God, who came by and really dropped the truth onto us and basically said, this is ridiculous and you need to get out of here. Um, but I remember searching out the word of God, reading over and over and over for myself about Jesus and the gospels, because I wanted to know who Jesus was. And though it was uh, a horrible ordeal, uh, and we went from the frying pan into the fire, so to speak, as we were directed to the next step in our religious instruction, in our, you know, God, I, I really believe that God permits these things. And I have noticed that almost everybody who comes to the Lord, so don't be freaking out here, who comes to the Lord gets involved in at least one, and usually in the, towards the beginning of your walk with God, one religious mess, at least one. And, and, so it, and, and by the time we got out of this thing, I tell you what, I was street smart when it came to religion. I could see it 10 miles away. I knew what it smelled like. I knew what it looked like. And I was just absolutely repelled, 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 is that a word? Repulsed. <laughs> repulsed, repelled. Yeah. I need, I just need help here. And I made a new word up anyway. So uh, at, at what had happened 
and it, it even drove me deeper into searching out God. But it was a frustrating time because you saw people come and go. And I remember one time, uh, it was after a service on a Sunday morning, and two visitors had come to the church, and they were women. And, of course, they were new to the church, new to the area, and they were both, and back was in the 70s, they are both wearing pantsuits, these, these uh, single-knit, you know, one was orange and one was lime green. So obviously men would not be wearing lime green pantsuits. But anyway, they were caught at the back door by the pastor, a, a woman pastor, who scolded them and declared to them that that was not the way we dressed at this church. And I overheard the conversation. I was standing near the wall up towards the front. And I, I looked back there and I saw this discussion going on. And I thought, and the thought came to my mind, and it's never left me, is now how is that the love of God? You know, if the love of God is our ultimate goal and purpose and service and worship of him, how does this look like that? And where did Jesus do this in the Bible? Where did he scold the woman taken in uh, the, the woman at the well, the woman taken in adultery, Zacchaeus? Where did he ever scold people for what they were wearing? Well, not, not nowhere that I know. And see, along with this, what was going on among a lot of our friends among us, there was a, there was we could call it without being trite a great move of God yeah. I mean, because there were a lot of people really coming to know dedicated, Jesus. sincere. But, but what did we come into? Well, you know? yeah. What were we bringing them into? <laughs> we were sincere in our own hearts and the evangelism, the spirit of evangelism that caused us to reach out to these other hippies that were coming, you know, into the area and we would get them saved literally and without knowing much about the word of God. But then we would in- introduce them to this church, which was not a good place. Um, well, but God only, worked anyway. Right. It was the only, I mean, so it's the, the church we were involved with, yeah. the church we've been a part of. And I mean, there were some good, good things happening, but well, yeah. the mixture, it ended up, you know, where it basically it's, it's, it no longer exists. Right. But the thing that's, that's always, that's always to have something good and something bad is happening at the same time because both God and Satan are always working at the same place at the same time to do the opposite thing. And so we were being taught to diligently read our Bibles. We read, we were taught to read the Bible and we did that daily. And as a matter of fact, we even, you know, talked to one another on a daily basis about the Bible and the word of God and, and reading it and pursuing God. So the specifics of, of devotion and Bible reading were, were taught well. Um, but, but the ultimate insecurities, I think of the leadership and some of their own un. They didn't understand. I don't think they understood the depth of spiritual warfare and how Satan wanted to swallow up this little band of, of new believers because ultimately out of that band of believers came uh, pastors, evangelists, uh, Christian Bible school teachers, um, uh, people who were helping um, uh, Jews escape Russia, uh, all kinds of missionary types of things were coming out of this little group of hippies. And so, of course, you can see why Satan so desperately wanted to swallow them up and discourage their lives. But, and in, in many ways, it was a cult. Now, we have seen other cults as well, uh, where the members don't look outside their group. It may be a small, very intimate group. They may be very focused on their project or their pursuit of whatever it is they're doing. But we always, and you may be there right now, but you really have to ask yourself some pretty serious questions. Is this where God wants me? Is this group going where God wants them to go? Are they doing what they're doing under the counsel of the Holy Spirit? Or is there a lot of fear going on? Is it fear of man? Is it um, the, uh, the uh, grandiosity of a leader uh, or intimidation? It's important for you to know who your leaders are. Uh, and see their fruits, the fruit that. of their life. Right. He said, you know, he said, uh, oh, I, I don't remember it was... Paul or Peter says, you know, know those who labor among you and talks mm-hmm. about esteeming them highly for their work's sake and right. so forth. But know those who labor among you as leaders, understand, observe their lifestyle. Uh, and it's not a matter of you're just always, you know, picking on them. and, you know, you don't want to just be suspicious yeah. of, of, of your leadership. Oh, what are they going to do? What secrets do they have? All that kind of stuff. But you have to kind of know what's their heart. One of the things that 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 bothers me is that when people refer to a church as so and so's church, rather than Jesus, this church, is yeah. this is 
whatever's church. Mm-hmm. They, the church is identified with the name of, of the, the leader. pastor mm-hmm. or the leader. Mm-hmm. I don't, I really don't like that. I mean, it's not, it's not pastor so-and-so's church. It's it, Jesus' church. It belongs church. to Jesus. Right. And, and we're, you know, but we're so given, service. honey. We're so given to worshiping personality because we charisma. I'm not talking about the charisma. The charisma refers to the, the power of the Holy Spirit. But when you've got a person, a strong personality, that's a respected leader, sharp, all this kind of stuff. Very persuasive. Mm-hmm. Very persuasive. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can have a leader that looks like that and he's, he's still a good leader. But if, if you get, the whole group, whether it's a small group or a large group, a large megachurch, identified mm-hmm. with the name of this big, big leader. Uh, right. Then I'm, I'm just saying, watch out. We're yeah. missing. We're really missing something here. Well, going on with what you're saying, um, Jesus said, by their fruits, you shall know them. And I think people are afraid to identify rotten fruit. It's okay to call rotten fruit, rotten fruit. Um, they're afraid to do that for fear of, of judging. Um, but it's the one who brings forth the rotten fruit, which would be the tree. And, and that person is God's problem. When the fruit is rotten, when they're, when they're, when they're not, when they're hypocritical, when their walk and their talk aren't lining up, um, it's, it's okay to make note of that. You're not judging them. You're simply discerning what Jesus said. And many wolves will come in sheep's clothing. He said that he said, the flock is going to be torn up. Paul says, when I leave here, ravenous wolves are going to come in the midst of you. And indeed, before he even got off the scene, he was writing, uh, in Galatians, some pretty strong things, uh, regarding that in Corinthians as well. We're going to look at that, but you know, so to be, to beware of the fruit, uh, and, and let the Lord judge the person. But if the fruit is rotten, if it doesn't line up or add up, then you are not obligated to li- to eat rotten fruit or, or be sustained by it. You are free to go. You're God's servant anyway. So if God sends you over here, over there, at any point in time, um, be, be free to go. Well, it gets back to the fact of, of a lot of people are, are deceived. Mm-hmm. New believers are deceived because they don't know the scriptures. Right. A lot of things we mm-hmm. do, we mm-hmm. knew scripture but we knew scripture in a very kind of a narrow sense, limited way. Yeah. A too narrow a sense. So if, if you're looking at the, um, how can I say it? Um, you you look at it in in too narrow a Mm -hmm. sense, uh, where you just take a few verses and stuff like that. Yeah. Like Uh, we were doing. Yeah. It becomes kind of crazy. You get in a lot of trouble. Well, like second Corinthians, Paul says it very well. And I think we need to look at Paul because he is, he is the, per, the primary example of what a leader should be. Although he did not come to them with fine speech or, or oratory, he really knew his scripture. He says in Corinthians 11, um, verse, uh, I'll say with verse, start with verse 3, but I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different gospel, which you have not received, or a different um, spirit, which you have not received, you may well put up with it. I want to read that in the Amplified because it's really uh, clearer um, there. Paul says, um, verse oh, one, Galatians I, want, I wish you would bear with me a while, while I indulge a little in foolishness, but indeed you are bearing with me as you read this. I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy because I have promised you to one husband to present you a pure virgin to Christ. Paul is saying, this is my, my ambition and my effort and endeavor is to present you to Christ, not to steal you off for myself. But I'm afraid that even as the serpent beguiled Eve by his cunning, your minds may be corrupted and led away from the simplicity of your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For you seem willing to allow it. If one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you tolerated all of this beautifully, welcoming deception. Yet I consider myself in no way inferior to the so-called super apostles, even back then, huh? But even if I am unskilled in speaking, yet I am not untrained in knowledge. I know what I'm talking about, but we have been... Uh, but we have made this evident to you in every way and in all things. Um, so 
he's he's saying that the the risk of teaching them, preaching to them, is of course that he will be misunderstood, and that we will fall from the simplicity of the gospel into the complications of rituals and rules and church commandments and doctrines and theologies and traditions, all of which are irrelevant to the simplicity of the gospel. Well, a lot of times what he's talking about there is he's talking about tolerating false doctrine. And a lot of people tolerate uh, doctrine and teaching that isn't right because, well, because they don't this, know better. This big charismatic guy is, or a woman is, is bringing it. I mean, if so-and-so said it, it's gotta be right. And so we, we don't really, take a look at the scriptures mm-hmm. and, and, and really discern what's going on. Well, we think that maybe that's for some of the more, uh, the older leadership that who do we think we are to, you know, discern any of this stuff. And if you get some rousings or rumblings in your spirit, you may just cast them off as, you know, too much pizza or something rather than sitting before the Lord and saying, what is this God? What is the problem here? I, I knew back in the day there was a severe problem. I could not articulate it. I did not understand it, but I knew it was not right. I just knew that it was not right in my spirit, and I couldn't even tell you why at first. But as I started seeking and pressing into the Lord and the Word of God, I began to understand very clearly that it was not the love of God. It wasn't the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was preached out of fear and intimidation, and it was a very closed group. Um, And so I, I think a lot of the spiritual abuse that we go into, we go in with the intention of serving God, um, doing the right thing, um, suffering for Jesus. And, and, and the enemy uses our zeal and our desire to do the right thing to pull us into a place where we ultimately become used and bitter. What happens, too, is sometimes, especially, you know, and, and I'm not just knocking mega churches. I mean, just because a church is large and has thousands of people attending on Sunday doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. But what happens is sometimes people get to be um, cogs in the wheel, so to speak. They they right. get to be. It's they, easy to hide they're, out. They're used to keep the big system going. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just kind of a uh, like a, a worker bee, and it's nothing wrong with serving and being involved in ministry. We're not knocking that, but sometimes people are being used to perpetuate a right. system. That is very uh, unbiblical. Well, I think even in the days of Paul we have in Philippians, he has a a couple of very interesting comments in chapter 1. He says in verse um, 9, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Um, then he talks about the things that had been happening to him, you know, gotten put in jail. And some people were judging him as because that was an indication to them that he was um, out. He was being judged by God for being disobedient. But he says in verse 13, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to the rest that my chains are in Christ. So they were starting to change their mind and seeing that he was suffering for Jesus and not because he had been uh, mis- his, because of some misdeeds or uh, law-breaking type of thing. But then he goes on to say um, that some were even becoming more confident because of his change and becoming more bold to speak, speak the word. He says, some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Well, he says, what am I going to do with this mess? Some preaching out of selfish ambition, some for the glory of God. He says, what am I supposed to do then? He says, only in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And then in this, I rejoice. Yes. And will rejoice. You see here, kind of the way we look at things that all things can work together for good to those who love God because God can redeem things. And so even when the gospel is preached out of pretense or a selfish ambition, God can use that word that will not return to him void to bring forth salvation, to bring forth his, his own. He has a, a way of keeping and protecting us even in the midst of the demonic assaults against us. Yeah, God can, you know, he, he uses his word in a powerful way. I remember reading a story back in the, 
it was back in the late sixties, early seventies, where this this guy was he was kind of a hippie guy, drugging, kind of ha- hanging out with his girlfriend, and his girlfriend had been a believer, but she was not. She would not. She was not serving God at all. Mm-hmm. She was in the druggy style and all that. And so this guy one night he says, you know, my my life is so empty. I just um, I want to end my life. Everything is just messed up. I don't know what to do. I have no clue what to do. And she, not living for God at all, shared with him the gospel. Of course. And, and he <laughs> and she. Uh, there's no record that she ever came back or, you know, started, you know, went to serving the Lord. But God used that word that was brought by basically, if you could call her a, a backslider, backslider yeah, right. or, or a heathen. I know God, I know a man that um, greatly influenced by a tract written by an, an atheist, atheist I know. that motivated him to serve God. So God can use all right. these kinds of things in the midst of that. But um, that's, you know, but we're in this time of uh, oh yeah, the, it's, it's it's a it's, it's a, a messy time, messy time but, messy. But there's a lot of good things that come as a result of this. Well, you know, and again, just kind of wrapping up on the spiritual abuse idea a little bit. Um, a lot of times, it's it's coming through religious intimidations, using a person's desire for God to serve God, um, using that to control them. Um, and it exploits the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the gospel of good news and grace for greedy gain. And, and the gospel does make money uh, because of the very way it's set up to gather in funds. Uh, and a lot of those funds are misappropriated and misused. Um, and whether the gospel is being preached out of pretense, as Paul was talking about, uh, or pre- in, in, a, in a false doctrine, um, all of which are di- diabolically designed, I believe, to snatch up those who are uh, have a zeal without wisdom um, and to cast those out um, you know, sometimes we, when we're we're looking for safety, we'll go with the majority. You say, well, they can't all be wrong. So we kind of hop on the wagon with the majority, and we don't ask any more questions. We just go to church. I was born a Catholic. I'll die a Catholic. I was born a Lutheran. I'll die a Lutheran. I was born German. I'll stay Lutheran, a German, whatever. We just kind of don't ask for anything more. We just kind of go with the status quo. And on the other hand, sometimes when people see and kind of come to the end of this con or the, 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 the trick, uh, or the uh, spiritual abuse, they become very embittered. They become disillusioned. Um, they, they stop. Okay. Then they, they fault God. They find fault with God for, for how the, the gospel is preached by an, an unfaithful servant and, uh, or a hireling. And then they walk away from God, which is Satan's deepest delight. And sometimes what happens, people, their eyes are open to the cult that they're in, but then they leave, they come out, they, like you mentioned, 2 Corinthians yeah. six seventeen. they come out from among them, be separate. But then what they do is they they start another cult. Right. Not intentionally, but or, it, it gets to be that way. Or, or yeah. they just say, forget this. How many yeah. people are out yeah, there that have been, everybody, burned, burned. everybody's been burned by church in yeah. one way or another. Because mostly church is not God. I mean, we've yeah. been talking on this show forever about the mixing and mingling of truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the love of God with works. And that brings a stupor. And a lot of people are in that place of the delight of the stupor. You know, Paul says you beautifully are willingly willing to follow this lie. And that was back in the day when Jesus had basically just ascended. I mean, it wasn't that long after they had the, the, the fresh, you know, experience yet of Jesus Christ. And so uh, today we see the, the wear, wearing down of faith and hope in some um, and then you have the people who say, well, there's strength in numbers, so I'm going to stay with the, the big the big guys. I'm going to stay with the big names. I'm going to stay with the mega churches. I'm going to, you know, because cast my lot in with them. But how many times do you know of where God has whittled his band down to a handful, maybe even to one, uh, and conquered through that? I mean, we have Moses. We have Noah. We have the 12. We have little. He, he just didn't have to have a mega anything to do a great thing. And what happens, too, is oftentimes, you know, we're not called to a church that has the, the finest entertainment. That, that, that's, a lot of times that's the big draw right. to a, a Fancy church. Fancy worship. Who's, yeah. got, who's got the greatest worship team? Who's got the nicest yeah. seats, the nicest building? The, the people that are, you know, oh, there's a bunch of successful people here. Yeah, right. Well, I guess that would be another telltale sign of a, of a cult or a, 
spiritual abuse or a bad church to be in is how is that thing set up? Is it set up to be an entertainment, like a theater? You have theater seats, you have a stage. I understand we have platforms and pulpits. I understand many things are done. There's many songs, you know, messages, plays and things that are given and done. But is the, the thrust of the church to, to entertain or to uh, invite people to go and evangelize? It's like, you know, and some churches I've been in, they don't even have a cross anywhere to be seen. Um, that's kind of scary, too. So you might want to just pay attention to what it's designed because what, what the heart is full of the mouth speaks and what you've got out there in the architecture and in the situation can tell you a little bit, if not quite a lot, about the church. And, and the thing is, you don't owe your allegiance to a building or to a tradition or to a certain denomination. You owe your allegiance to one thing, and that is the Lord God himself, Jesus Christ, and the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Some people are afraid to leave, and yet they know something is wrong. For example, I, I just recently talked to a gal. She wants to serve in the church. She sees a burden and a need for um, the, the children to be taught the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, of course, we could say, well, then don't go teach Sunday school or something. But in her church particularly, these, there's, there's no encouragement for her or people because those positions are already filled. And so there's no way for her to, to explore the, her heart's desire and this this um, this mission or commission of the Most High to to go and there's no way to a lot of these people there's no way to, to learn it there's nobody to mentor you that you have to fit into certain slots in the church and those slots are usually filled or if they're not filled they're begging for somebody to go in and do the nursery or do the this or do that but but they're so regimented that it it doesn't allow for the creativity. Uh, and the uniqueness of a ministry sometimes that has been given to someone by God, and you just don't know where to go. You don't know how to learn it, and yet you don't want to leave. Uh, you don't want to leave because you've got friends there, because your kids like the like the youth group or whatever, and so you're you're kind of embedded in a place where you're not happy. So, couple of options. If that's true, then you yourself draw away in your Bible with the Lord and learn what God has to say until you have the strength and the courage to, to, to make the move you need to move with and, and ask God to open up doors for you. He's still in control of guiding your life, whether you're stuck or locked into a position, uh, even being the pastor of the church. I mean, at one point in time, actually, Jerry, we, we were called, you were called by God to leave the church and you were the pastor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, God, God draws the line. There's different things. And you, you read all through church history um, about people that were called to leave. And it wasn't because necessarily because, oh, I'm sick and tired of this and I got to go or I'm just. Or they don't like me or, or I can't or, get it, do it my way. Shir- or... Shirking my responsibility right. and so forth. But God does draw the line where, you know, and at, at the time where you're uh, called to leave, you receive the temptation to stay but you just say, no, you just have to go and, and, and move into the new things that God has for, for us. And, and sometimes you go out. Um, when I left that place, it was like Abraham. God spoke to Abraham yeah. and said, you know, go into this land. I'm going to show you. Mm-hmm. And he, it says he went out not knowing where he was going. And that's why right. I went not knowing where we were going. Stepping out of the boat. We sort of. stepped out of the boat mm-hmm. so forth. But what God did is he took us through a, a, just another it was another journey of learning and growing and deprogramming and reprogramming. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and basically a lot of times that's what happens. What a lot of us need is, yes. is, is the whole thing I mean, coming to know Christ. Mm-hmm. It's, it's deprogramming that's from right. the ways of the world, your that's old right. mindsets and reprogramming right. the world with the word of God and so forth. Uh-huh. So, and sometimes that it you know happens not just because individually, but from what we, uh, dealing with what we know of church and what right. church is supposed to be, how it is to operate mm-hmm. according to the, to the word of God. So, so the word of God really is the pattern. And a lot of times, most is. of us time in the word ourselves to really recognize the two patterns. So we see the counterfeits and we don't discern them as counterfeits. And we, so, so the thing is too, if you're looking at, looking at your church fellowship that you're part of, okay, look at the Bible Look at the New Testament. Look at the book of Acts, for example. Mm-hmm. Read the epistles, mm-hmm. the, the counsel and the guidance that are given by 
uh, Peter and Paul and the epistles and so forth, and and how and how Jesus operated, mm-hmm. because that's how he says, even as the Father has sent me, so send I you. So looking at look at that and say, okay, this is this is the pattern. And then, and then look at your local congregation and say, is this what we're doing? Essentially, right. there's two parts of this. Is, is, um, let's, let's say three. We're called to, to worship the Lord, okay? And, and that is not just sitting around singing choruses. That might be part of it. But it's everything that we are, everything that we do unto the Lord is part of is our worship mm-hmm. uh, unto him. So everything needs to be done, and and we are and do unto Him. Mm-hmm. Second part of it is nurturing, discipling. Jesus said, "Make disciples, um, nurturing one another in the body of Christ, loving, helping, praying with, mm-hmm. helping, and serving, helping people overcome that sort of thing. Nurturing in the body of Christ, worship and nurture. Yes. we call. It. And then the, the the third part of this, it, it all goes together. And Jesus said, go into all the world so and, and, and make disciples, preach the gospel. So there's, there's the outreach that is going. And each person individually is called to do a ministry uh, outreach because we're, we're the light of the world. We're yeah. the salt of the earth, Jesus yeah. said. So going outside walls, the, one of the dangers is that the church stays within the walls. Mm-hmm. That the salt stays in the salt shaker, yeah, and, and the light is hidden underneath a, a, a basket, right? And and that's not where it's, we're to be out. That's not there. where the action is. The, yeah, the exactly. Action, the real action is out there in in this uh, well evil nasty world. That Paul says <laughs> in in Second uh, Corinthians chapter three, here's what we're to be. You are our epistles, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. You are manifestly an epistle of Christ ministered by the, by us written not with ink but by the spirit of the living god not on tablets of stone but on tablets of flesh that is of the heart um and he goes on to say but uh and we have such trust through christ towards god not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of be, as being from ourselves but our sufficiency is from god who also made us Sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So we see here, Paul is saying, you're the epistles. It's written on your hearts. We can't do this ourselves. This is the Holy Spirit writing upon your life, the truth and the and the actual uh, uh, various aspects of the gospel of Jesus Christ that are specific to you to go and preach and teach and do whatever you're called to do. And not to do it as as legalistic with the letter. And that was another thing with the church where we grew up is very, very legalistic, very, very religious, very, very binding. And, and, and there was not much spirit there except what the spirit of God was giving us uh, as we sought him in the freshness of our salvation. But so um, he doesn't want us to be uh, bound up in that kind of legalism. He says in chapter four, therefore, since we have this ministry now, He's not just talking about the pastor, you know, or the evangelist or the apostle or the prophet. He's talking about all of us because that's we are called kings and priests unto our God ourselves. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So we're not going to be handling the, the gospel in a way to manipulate people to follow us or believe us or give us their money or help us to buy the bricks to build a new steeple. We're actually, you know, walking in the spirit of God and helping people to get through their lives, find the grace of God, the hope of God, the answers to prayer, healings. He says, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. I believe that when you're, when you're called and seeking and sincere in your search for God, you will be found by God. He's not going to let you sit in this disaster zone of deception for long. For we do not preach ourselves, Paul says, 
but Christ Jesus, the Lord, and ourselves, your servants for, for Jesus' sake. And this is another good sign if your pastor or leadership is serving, if they're willing to serve you, if they're willing to make the hospital visits, the calls, uh, go out of their way, and not just to do the fun things, but to do the hard things. Just to, and a lot of churches, they don't want to do the messy things. They don't like the counseling things. They don't like bearing one another's burdens. They, they would prefer to have people with very few problems so they can continue to look very nice on the outside. But he says, we, we don't preach ourselves. We preach, we are servants for Jesus' sake. And it is God who commanded, it is the, the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So he's saying really here, the, the, the motive and the principle of this, you don't want to be spiritually abused. You don't want to be used. You don't want to become bitter. You don't want to be swallowed up in the, in the, the uh, agendas of not only Satan, uh, but the people who are insecure and still operating out of fear. We want to move in the power of God's love. Yeah. The power of God's love. That's it. And part of that is that, you, you want to make sure that your church and the leadership in your church believe wholeheartedly in the inspiration and authority of the Bible. Right. Uh, exactly. Even among so-called evangelical churches, there's an erosion of faith in the, in the scriptures and the authority of the scriptures. And so, right. This oh my is goodness. It. Indeed. In, in everything. Uh, uh, yeah. It, in it's context, just... in context of the scripture where it's not just talked about, but, but it's it's, it's rightly divided, rightly divided, because, you know, rightly a lot of dividing the word of truth, Paul told Timothy, truth, speaking the truth in love that they may grow up. You need both love and truth. And a lot of times we, you know, the devil says, well, that's not loving. If you don't accept them, if you don't embrace this, if you don't do that, that you're not loving them. Well, you know, we have to separate the being from the behavior and understand that in some of these churches that are going along with things that are absolutely an abomination to God that if you participate with that or remain in that setting under that authority, you are also, uh, what is that word culpable or guilty of yeah, doing the same you're, you're thing? Very, you're very, very vulnerable. But, but there's a time to come and a time to go, a time to join and time to unjoin. <laughs> right. and, and pulse. And, you know, here's another telltale sign of a good a spiritual leader, someone you want to follow, someone who's getting in good spiritual trouble, you know, well, like Paul in Rome in in Second Corinthians two, uh, second. If I'm sorry, four eight. He says, "We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the di- the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies." Um, so he says, "For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake." that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So he says, therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Just think about all the blood of the martyrs and how that blood has been what God has used to actually fertilize great revivals and bring about great repentance uh, for those who are left behind. Even as we speak now that, it's reported there's like 80 or 90,000 people estimated this year that have uh, worldwide that have lost their lives for Christ. That's a small uh, number. I mean, I think it's larger than it's that. It's probably way larger than Christ. Yeah. You know, who knows about this? But, but see, if but, there's not enough shipwrecks and trouble and tribulation, and it's not coming because we're disobedient or because we've gone the wrong direction or God is trying to judge or correct us in some ways. Many t- Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. And you may be having been led by the Holy Spirit into a wilderness of spiritual abuse or into a a church that is not functioning properly. Just at this point in time, take the courage to seek God and say, God, is this what you want for me? And some people say, well, I got to stay here because I have to be a light. I have to be a witness, a testimony. Well, maybe that's true. Uh, It might be. But at the same time, you better be getting fed somewhere else then uh, because you're not going to find it there. Um, and you need to be strong. You can't be weak. And so many times we just, um, Paul, again, in chapter four of first Corinthians, he says, you know, even to this present hour, we are, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. We have labored and we labor working with our own hands, being reviled. We bless being persecuted. We endure it being defamed. We entreat. We have been made the filth of the world, the offscouring of all things until now. So he's saying, you know, it's not easy to follow Jesus. And I think a lot of times just staying in the church you're in is easy. 
it, but it's not productive. It's not fruitful. You're not being stretched. You're not, you're not really living. You're just existing, coping, surviving, and waiting until Jesus shows up. But don't you want to, I mean, the power of his spirit, what Jesus did, how Jesus lived, how Paul lived, how they picked up the banner, how these great men and women of God um, gave their lives, you know, unsacrificed, unselfishly, unselfishly to promote the, the betterment of the people around them, the, all, the salvations, the revelation, the gospel of Jesus Christ of these people. That is true reward. That in, that in itself is true victory. And if your, your life is dull and boring, it may be because you're, you're just living it uh, kind of for yourself. And that's one of the dangers. There's so many other dangers that we're not going to have time to get to on this, on this program. But uh, yeah, that's the thing is, is you get internalized and where you just, you know, just, you get, so, you get caught up in the cares, riches, and pre- pleasures of life. Right. Uh, you know, you, and Jesus said, no, uh, Paul wrote to Timothy and said in 2 Timothy 2, 4, no man that's called to be a soldier mm-hmm. gets entangled in the affairs of this life. Right. And so you get tangled. When you're entangled, what do you, if you ever get tangled up in a, in a rope or a hose or, or thorns out in the woods or something, you know, you, you just, you can't walk, you fall and all that sort of yeah. thing. So it, it's so easy because we have so many personal struggles, like in our you know, family and work and everything. And life is very, very demanding. But if we, if we get so caught up in internal life, right. so it's just basically all about us and our problems and our issues, not to diminish those, but there's got to be the place where you are reaching beyond yourself into someone else in someone else's life and as you reach out into someone else's life god seems to reach into your life and take care of those issues that are pressing upon you so we're created by god to serve and to worship um then paul again in second timothy uh talking to timothy causing helping timothy to grow up in god and how many of us you know we don't talk to one another we don't talk to the young people we don't help them. We don't, we're embarrassed or we're afraid that they won't like us if we say something or we're, we'll be looked at as weird or something. But he's talking, he says, remember, therefore, uh, in chapter one of Second Timothy, verse six, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying out of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, power and love and a sound mind. The, the people who are afraid are not going to be the ones who are going to stand and having done all the stand in these coming days. It's the people who know their God that will do exploits, the people who love God, who've laid down their life, who are dead already and don't, you know, and are still alive. They're alive. They're um, pulses. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet it is not now I who live in the flesh, but the spirit of the living God who lives in me. And so his body was a vessel that he was using to go about and carry about, carry on the work of God. For not, for God did not give you that spirit of fear, but of power and love. And that's fear, fear may be in your church. It may be in your era. Um, personal life, maybe in your soul. Therefore, he says, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ, nor of his, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings um, for the gospel, according to the power of God, who has saved us, has saved you and called us with a holy calling, not according to our own works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. This purpose for which you have been created was described and given to you before you were even conceived, before time began. And you do not want to squander this on a spiritually abusive situation in the context of fear, in in a wrong doctrine. Uh, You want to say, God, deliver me, because you may be caught, snared, held hostage in in the enemy camp, although it may look like a nice place. You will say to the Lord, I want to fulfill call in my life, your purpose in my life um, that has been revealed and reveal it to me um, so that when Jesus comes back, I will have, I'll be a hundred percent fruitful. Exactly. One of the great things about a great leader is that they, by the spirit of God, recognize the gifts that are in other people. Right. And, and, and the, here's the example right here. You just read Marjorie mm-hmm. in second Timothy chapter one. He said, stir up. You've got this gift. Stir it up. Recognize that. 
And it's not just sometimes we try to put a square peg in a round hole. It's asserting what is your gift, whatever it is. If you can, you know, drive a car, <laughs> not necessarily a gift, but whatever, there's ability at and doing. that you have mm-hmm. that you might think, how could God use that? Uh, and he can use it. For, your, for his glory. And not necessarily in a traditional setting. I mean, basically everything that was done for the glory of God is untraditional. That's right. It's something new. It's mm-hmm. something fresh, but it's very fruitful for the kingdom of God. Well, in kind of wrapping this up, we want to uh, understand, and Paul says, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. You commit to the Lord your position, your situation, your questions, your, con- your confusion, your gifts. You commit it to the Lord. You let him handle it. Let him manage it. And you will not be ashamed in that day. And Father, we just thank you, Lord God, for the teachings, even for leading us in the wilderness, as you did Jesus, by your spirit, to teach us, Lord God, to, to recognize the difference between the truth and the error, between the law and grace, between the spirit and the, and the works, Lord God. And we forgive those people who misled us and are even now spiritually abusing us. We release them from our judgment for the witchcraft, the control, the manipulation, the insecurity, the fear, the intimidation, the coercion, whatever they're doing to make us feel bad, guilty, uh, un, un, um, ashamed, unworthy. We release those matters into your hands and before the court of heaven. We ask now that you would also um, judge the matter, that you would judge the enemy who is holding all of us hostage, and that you release us into the fullness of joy, into the place of revival in our hearts, into the place where our spirits again uh, rejoice in the goodness of God. And Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name because we commit these things to you by your spirit. Amen. And for those that have been involved, Lord, under these very subtle and overt spiritual abuse, Lord, release them, set them free to be fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God that the giftings and callings that you have upon them would be stirred up and used powerfully in the power of the Holy Spirit for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. I have an emergency. What is your location? 